most marketing does not work. Now, that is a phrase that I hear all of the time. And you know what? It's just not very helpful because you want to know why it doesn't work and you want to know how you can get it working for you. And that's what this session is all about. We've got Steve Palethorpe. He is an expert in marketing. He's got an agency in marketing. He's just recently been recognized for SEO Agency of the Year. And we're going to learn how you can get your marketing working properly with real results. Let's do this. Steve-O, Mr. Palethorpe. Right, let's talk marketing, hey? Indeed, let's do it. Right, how's it changed? Well, marketing has really transitioned over the last 10 years, you know, particularly digital. Uh, Digital marketing has really been the emergence of how to use your online marketplace to be effective and to grow. And these days, you know, we're dealing with a world where marketers are no longer offline or online. The current marketing generation that we're living in with Gen Z and millennials only know online marketing. So the new way is digital. But with the transition that's happening at the moment, you know, we are living in the second industrial revolution which is the AI revolution. Everything is changing because of big data. And if people, businesses don't understand the power of big data and what that's bringing to the digital landscape, then really we're going to miss the the transition that is occurring right now, right at this moment. I'm passionate about this, man. For sure, absolutely. Uh, I like that. I mean, you're right. I'm going to mention a couple of things that you said there. So Gen, what is Gen Z? Well, Gen Z is the, the generation after millennials. Believe it or not, I think you will, you and me are right on the cusp of the millennial yeah. generation. And it's funny because I'm I 1980. Yeah, I'm, I'm 85. So I don't class myself as a millennial, but I, I fit in that, 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 that category of millennials. But the generation that comes after us, of course, is the Gen Zs. And the Gen Z guys, they do life in a different way. Yeah. And they, they, they think differently. Uh, my parents' generation have educated us to behave in a certain way and our generation is now educating our children to behave differently as well and because of that these people are thinking differently they behave differently today it's more about the connection that someone feels with the brand rather than just the the value of a product or service so marketing is all about connection it's about how you create connections with your prospects connections with your customers connections with influencers and other people within your radar within your ecosystem I love that. Marketing is all about connections. So let's let's talk through what to do and what not to do on that then subject. So things to do in in positively creating connections. Well, you know, the, the list is endless, but let's let's start with your digital asset because that's what people forget. And you know, in my experience, 80% of all marketing fails because people fail to execute it properly. So when we're looking at a marketing plan, first of all, you've got to plan, go back to your traditional theory, segmentation, targeting, position, plan it outright, but then you must execute your marketing in the right way. These days, there are so many touch points that affect your prospects and your customers. Engaging with each of those channels in the right way is absolutely pivotal for what the world is now calling omni-channel marketing. And so to do omni-channel marketing well, we've got to understand that there are seven different touch points that feed targeted relevant traffic through to your digital asset. Your digital asset is your website. And to be totally frank with you, James, as I look and I audit people's websites every day of the week, 90% of all websites still make my eyes bleed. You know, so we've got to make sure that our websites actually look good. They position our brand in the right way. And, you know, there's so many things we could talk about in that perhaps in a minute with the F principle 
principle and conversion tracking studies. But once we've got this website working, we've then got to look at the marketing channels that are feeding the targeted relevant traffic. We've then got to manage and execute campaigns across those seven different digital mediums flawlessly in order to start getting that traffic. And once we've got the traffic, we need to have the understanding and the insights to know whether that traffic is converting. And that's something that we call in our industry a marketing attribution model. Okay, and that's what I think we should uh, pivot in and talk a bit about a bit later today. All right, I'll make a note of that, the marketing attribution model. Um, I do want to expand on this failure to execute thing because it's kind of hitting nerve that is. I'm aware I'm, I see thousands of small businesses marketing and, you know, I see some, sometimes I see marketing plans and, you know, sometimes yeah. I see really, is there a link between a really good marketing plan and execution? Do you know what? I've seen some of the most beautiful marketing plans that have been presented and then the actual execution and implementation of that plan has absolutely crippled the whole thing. So in my view, you can have the most beautifully structured marketing plan, but unless your team follow through on those actions to execute, it's not going to achieve the results. What's the key to it? to following through and executing. You know, part of the key, and this goes back to good old action coach principles, it is strategy, planning and actions. You know, it is good old classic marketing theory. We've got to be able to understand the timescales for when we have to do certain things. And in my experience, when it comes to onboarding in our agency, we take quite a long time to do the onboarding yeah. work for a client. And that's purely because unless the technical engine of the website is working properly, then you can have all of these beautiful campaigns running. But if that website isn't geared to deliver, it's going to fall over. So the thing that I do right at the very start of any marketing engagement is I make sure that we do the due diligence phase to get the technical aspects of a campaign really sorted. And, you know, I'm is, that what, is that where you think most people get it wrong? They don't do, put the effort yeah, in? Yeah, I, I think it's not just about effort. I think in most cases, marketing marketers tend to be lazy and forgive me if you are watching today and you're a marketer I'm not saying you're lazy but most business owners think that marketing is a discipline that can just be picked up and so what we tend to find is a sales administrator or the teenager in the company who's got some digital savviness to themselves is usually the person that's appointed to do marketing and the reality is with these seven different marketing channels now in place each one of those marketing channels requires a fundamentally different type of persona to manage them and so so if you've got one person trying to do social, trying to do paid advertising, the technical aspects of SEO, that one individual is never going to be able to have the competency to be able to manage all of that omnichannel campaign. So what we have to do is we've got to really refine this down to look at how we can get a blend of personalities and skill sets here that will actually make a campaign in marketing effective. So going back to your question, what we've got to do is we've got to look under the hood. Now, like you, I know you're into performance cars, James. I drive a Bentley. I absolutely love it. It's my pride and joy. But you can have the most beautiful car. It can look absolutely stunning. But if the engine of that car isn't working, it's not going to move an inch forward. And the same applies to a website. You can have the most stunningly beautiful information site that's been crafted by a branding company. Oh, man, you could do absolutely everything with it. But unless the engine room of that website is working, you've got the technical aspects. Is that the attribution model that we're going to? It's, we're getting there. We're getting there. But it's more than 
that, you know, before we get onto attribution modeling, we've got to get the fundamentals right. Has the site got an XML sitemap? That's the thing that integrates your site into Google through the search console. Is the site fast? Is it responsive? We're living in the era of the modern internet where... Gen Zs. Yeah, of course. But, you know, but the table that we're sat on or the chair that we're sat on could be a connected device. We're no longer just talking about smartphones, tablets, and laptops and desktops. We're talking about the iPad that's on your fridge where someone might browse the internet now. So what's your website going to look at, look like on these variety of different platforms potentially we've got to get our website responding in a way that not only is super fast but also positions ourselves to google and other search engines in the right way and to do that we've got to look at a fundamental list of things that have to be right and most websites we're finding these days people haven't done the due diligence behind it to get that engine room of their website actually operating is that because they don't know how to do it Absolutely. And I think, you know, I think if people really understood the complexities behind data science and data intelligence, then people would know they need to get an expert on board. You see, a couple of things is happening in my mind right now. Number one is you are ridiculously passionate about this subject, man. And, and number two is people might be scared about what you've just said because the, the depth and detail that you're going into there is like, come on, guys, you've got to get this right if, you, if you're marketing yeah. right. So what would you say to anyone that's scared about this? You know, it's, it's not something to be scared of. We're living in an age now where we can position ourselves to reach almost anyone. You know, the world is now online. So the demarcation of borders and traditional territories that we used to have is no longer there. Your business can excel in the digital landscape. There's no question of a doubt. But there are fundamental things that have to be done right. You know, I don't want to mention brand names on this this platform here today, but there are certain websites that you could buy from a an off-the-shelf yeah. type thing that fundamentally will never rank well in Google search. So why, as a small business owner, would you invest in inferior technology and inferior platforms. Instead, go for some of the leading content management systems, things like WordPress or Drupal, to really get your websites engaged and set up. And once you've got those websites, there's a huge myriad of different tools that are out there. You know, Google itself is providing a whole suite of services these days, which are free to webmasters. Just go into the Google Search Console, download it, plug your site in, totally free to do. And Google's going to tell you all the things that are wrong with your site. So it's easy to fix those things if you follow the process. So don't be scared of this. It's about understanding the complexities that exist within digital marketing and the fact that you cannot get your teenage son or daughter to sit there and try and make sense of it. Yes, they might be able to come up with good graphics and all of those yeah. things, but we've got to utilise skill set, competency where it's appropriate. Put an engine under the bonnet. Absolutely. Get the engine, but not just any engine. We want an engine that's going to supercharge results. Because remember, marketing's all about results. There's, there's a bit of a marketing pun in there as well. <laughs> ah, <isn't> there? there is. <laughs> well, there you go. You know, if marketing isn't returning an investment back to the business, then it's not achieving the outcomes. And I always talk about the marketing funnel when I'm talking about marketing. So at the top of that funnel is brand awareness. And typically big companies, they invest yeah. in brand awareness. And we all know that the, the, the big B2C brands will plug thousands 
hundreds of thousands of pounds into brand awareness. But most small businesses don't have the capability or the budgets to go there. So we go down to mid-funnel marketing, which is sometimes what I like to call marketing fluff, because it's the stuff that is market engagement strategies, things like social media content, the learning center on your website. These are things that are harder to quantify results from, but absolutely necessary to drive that engagement with your audience. That's a mid-level funnel, yeah? That's mid-level funnel. Then down the bottom of the funnel is the lead generation strategies. And for most small businesses, if you're watching and listening today, I would say to you, begin with the lead generation strategies. So what are they? It's marketing automation via email, okay? Sending your email communications out. And with email marketing, you're looking at three things, trust, interest, and action. Trust comes from the sender. It's the person sending the email. Please don't send an email campaign to me from the name of your business that I've never heard of. Send it from your name. Steve Pelthorpe, James Vincent. Okay, I'm going to get trust from that. Interest. Interest comes from the subject line. So what does this email say to me? Does it say that this is spam? Does it say it's the traditional newsletter? You know, newsletters just don't work anymore, right? So trust, interest, and action comes from the preview pane. So with up to 70% of all emails now being opened on a smartphone, the preview pane is the two lines of text that appears right at the start of your email. So if you want to get marketing results, you've got to make that first sentence pop. So what are we talking about here? Are we talking about a newsletter? No, we're talking a three-paragraph plain text email that I get it, I receive it, I open it because it's interesting, and then I take action on that. And the action that I'm going to be taking isn't necessarily to click on a link, by the way. It might be to respond to your email. And that's good enough for me. That's a marketing-qualified lead. This is email marketing, one of the lead generation strategies that sits at the bottom of the marketing funnel. You've got other things like paid advertising. Okay. Big cost center in some businesses. Now, I was working today on a client project where a cost per click was almost £25 a click. Imagine paying £25 just to get one person onto your website. You know, from paid advertising, we usually get a 3 to 13% conversion on a landing page. So we've got to have a model. We can build it. It's really easy. It's quantifiable. We've got to make sure that paid advertising is actually effective. And the last one, search engine optimization. A lot of people were asking me, is search engine optimization dead because of AI? Fundamentally, no. You know, I've got a cup of water here, or had water in it. Your website, we, can get, we can get you another one if you want. No, no, I'm good, I'm good. Your website's like a cup. It's like a container of domain authority. And that domain authority is being passed to you from other websites that link to you. So the more domain authority you've got in your container... Wow. What a great analogy that is, but Absolutely, yeah. The, the more, con- more domain authority you've got in that container, the more your site is going to rank on key phrases. The more key phrases, the more traffic. The more traffic, the more conversions. So unless you're investing in proactive link building to come into your site, your site's never going to rank. And so getting your site found online, it's not about AI in that world. It's about how you can generate the maximum number of quality links that are coming into your site that's going to give you domain authority with Google. So how can you produce content that really hits the the mark, that's aligned to keywords that people are searching? And of course, one of the revolutions that's happening at the moment is the whole idea of uh, voice search, right? We're all changing how we're using Alexa, Siri, and the Google Assistant. I've got to be careful. My phone's going to hear me. But as we're searching online using our voice, these days we're asking questions rather than typing keywords. So how does my site respond to the questions that my prospects and customers are asking? And if we're positioning our content on those elements, that's when we're going to get start getting results. You know what? I meet people all the time that are strong in sales, strong in strategic planning. I meet lots of people on that. 
leadership, another another one that's that's that, that comes out. Not as many people are good at systemizing a business, but very, very few people mm. yeah. good at marketing. With the passion, enthusiasm, and knowledge that you're speaking about here, this is such an important podcast here, for especially for small businesses. But I, I don't want to say especially for small businesses as well. Mm. I'm going to ask you about small and big in a, in a second. Um, one thing you've said in there was... Marketing attribution model. What is it? Okay, right, let's get to the nuts and bolts, shall we? So look, whether you're a small business or a big business, it's absolutely pivotally important that we know where our marketing spend is yielding results. It's, and that's the bit that when, when we say yeah. that we can get excuses or comments like, I don't know. Do you know what, mate, James, most small business owners that I speak to do not know what return they're getting from their marketing investment. They'll know they're doing networking. They'll know they're doing some digital advertising. They'll know they're doing some PR, but they can't quantify that. And you, even if you speak to bigger enterprises, it's the same pattern that occurs. So, so just, just for certainty on that, and this, this is my professional opinion, that means then that those businesses are not making objective decisions. They're making emotional, subjective decisions. Correct. Yep. How many businesses do that at the moment? I would say nine out of 10 of all of the customers that I engage with have made emotional decisions about their marketing. And keep making emotional yeah, decisions. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of the reasons why it can be so frustrating as a marketing agency owner, because even marketing agency, James, are performing in this way, in, in they're making um, decisions based, based on emotive uh, fantasy rather than on pure data. And, you know, these days, because of AI and because of all the information that we can tap into, we don't need to make decisions based on those emotions of course we're going to anyway because we're human but ultimately we can make decisions based on quantifiable metrics and google gives us all of that so how do we take and harness that that's where the marketing attribution model comes in so what is marketing attribution marketing attribution is the development of a system that sticks on the back of your website and it monitors the the traffic that comes from the seven marketing channels that are driving that targeted relevant traffic and it looks at which of those channels is producing marketing qualified leads and it does that through conversion tracking so the moment someone comes to your website fills in a web form the moment someone comes and clicks on the telephone number to call you the moment someone comes and takes a logical next step that is predefined by you and they complete that journey that is a fulfillment of what we call in the industry a conversion i'm not interested in soft conversions we can see those every day of the week i want to know hard conversions when is my marketing producing me a lead when is my marketing producing me a sales transaction so this goes down to what we call cost per lead or cost per acquisition right and so if I look at those marketing channels, so the seven steps marketing chassis that we like to call it, that's things like search, paid ads on Google, which encompasses display marketing, yeah. remarketing, paid ads on Meta, content marketing, social media, digital PR, lead tracking, all of those elements sit driving relevant traffic to our site. And what we do is we place a bit of technology on the website that looks up which of those channels is producing conversions. And that's the that's the magic. That's where then it happens. You can make decisions, yeah. I mean, then you can absolutely start to scale up. You can start to invest more over For there sure. or tweak this over there. Yeah. Because if I know that each lead, if I'm B two B, each lead is costing me hundred pounds, I'd say, great. Well, can I, I want twenty of those this month, please, or I want two hundred yeah. of them this month. 
So once we have quantifiable data that How long does it take truth, you then to get that? When you, on average, when you're working with a customer, how long does it take you to get to quantifiable data stage? You know, within one month, we have data tracking in place. So the moment a client kicks off with us, we're plugging in our tools straight away. So over that first 30-day period, we've got all the data we need. In order to then drive performance from that data, I'm going to need about 90 days. So three months of tweaking, measuring, testing, yeah. trialing different well, that's things. that's the thing, isn't it? This, you, got, you said 80% doesn't work. So there's a lot of changes. What's the right decision-making cadence for for I want to say a small, medium, or large business. <laughs> what's the what's the right decision-making on marketing? Well, it's a great is it every week. Is it no, no? Daily? I don't think it is every week. I think that there are there's strategy, there's planning, and there's actions. Right as we yeah. know, and the strategic piece changes every ninety days. That's typically the cadence yeah. of activity. The implementation is monthly. And so that's why I always work on monthly calls, making sure execution. that I'm reviewing. Yeah, execution. But then the actions that we do are weekly. They have to be tracked weekly because so much can change. You know, I was working with a client today who is in the uh, private healthcare sector. Yeah. And one of the things they said is that just by moving one of their campaigns from one style of campaigns in Google Ads yeah. to another, it reduced their leads by about 30%. They weren't being managed by us at the time. So we just There's looked at Different in, styles of yeah. Google Ads, yeah. We just looked at it looked at what was going on before, and we pivoted it back to what they were doing the previous month. So just by making that small change, that small tweak, we've immediately had 30% on the lead generation for that one client. And they, would, would they not have noticed that? Well, yeah, of course, they've noticed it, which is but, why they've But they might not have actioned it. But unless someone has the understanding of how to use digital mediums effectively, then they're not going to know. And this is why you can't be doing your Google Ads yourself. That's why you shouldn't be doing your search engine optimization yourself. It requires specialist knowledge. Well, look, you, you're certainly giving me that opinion at the moment. So these are the departments in a business. We've got the marketing department, the sales department, the operations, the delivery department. We've got the finance department. Yeah. We've got the HR department, all right? So there's five, five departments in all businesses. Is marketing the one that changes the most and the fastest? Well, great question. And, you know, going back two years, if we talk pre-pandemic, yeah. every business that you'd speak, speak to, it, even every coach you'd speak to would have said that the finance department is the most important department yeah. in the business. I think it's fundamentally changed now. Yeah, I agree. Right now, marketing is the most important part of the business because marketing produces sales. And if we're not evidencing that properly, the business isn't going to get the scale it needs. It's not going to get the growth it needs. It's not going to achieve the results it needs. So in my view, you're absolutely spot on. I think it's pivoted now. Finance, not to say finance is no longer important. Of course it is. But unless we have the marketing operations of the business fine-tuned, tweaked, driving that performance, it's not going to yield the sales now, that we need. You, you might have some cognitive bias on that because obviously you, you're so <laughs> passionate and enthusiastic about yep, marketing. Of course. Be, behind the scenes... I do speak to a lot of people, you know, high up in business and coaches, etc. And there's a number of people that would echo that that sentiment there. Um, you've mentioned this a number of times now: MQL, marketing qualified <laughs> yes. leads, yep. sales qualified leads. Yep. How does marketing qualify a lead? 
Great. Well, a great question again. So a marketing qualified lead has to, we have to have the lead that fits within some sort of scope. So what's the size of the business? What's yeah. the decision making contact within the business? What's the, um, the, uh, the, the availability of that business to spend? You know, one of the things I, I love in terms of definition of marketing is I always say that marketing is all about connections, yeah. connections with prospects. In fact, that's where we started today, right? But going on a step from there, marketing, if you wanted to define what is marketing? Marketing is about creating a flow of valuable customers into the business to make it continually profitable. And what's that about? It's the word value is the thing that I put in there. Marketing's about creating a flow of valuable customers. So going back to marketing qualified leads, we've got to make sure that the people that marketing is bringing into the business are the right quality of opportunity. You know, there's no good me getting a lead, but they've got no capacity to buy. They're the wrong size, the wrong demographic, the wrong industry. We've got to have a set of predefined um, segmentation targets for that lead. Once we know who that person is, it's very easy for us to then go and target those individuals. So that's a marketing qualified lead. When we transition that from an MQL to an SQL, that's where sales have received the marketing lead. They've confirmed that it is what it's what it said on the tin, that it's the right size, the right demographic, and sales qualify that with an opportunity. We're saying there is an opportunity for this business to buy from us. And the moment that's accepted as a sales qualified opportunity or a sales qualified lead, that's when it goes into the nurture process. And by the way, marketing's role isn't over at that point, James. Why? Marketing's role is to nurture all the way through. Let me tell you a quick story, right? I work with an energy supplier and you'd know them very, very well. And one of the errors that their marketing team made was in the nurture cycle. So they passed over an MQL for a, a large business based up in Edinburgh. And what happened was the marketing manager at the time decided to put a promotional offer out, offering up to I think it was 15% off an energy contract for the year. Yeah. The lead had been passed over to sales. It had been qualified. It had been taken as an opportunity. And the sales manager was on his way, driving up from London to Scotland, eight-hour, 10-hour trip or whatever it was. And he gets a call two hours away from reaching Edinburgh from the client saying, oh, I've just received your latest promotion. Deal's off the table. We're going back to, that, uh, to the offer you've just put out. The sales director absolutely hit the roof. Can you imagine? But what marketing have failed to do is they failed to understand when the lead had moved from marketing qualified lead right. to sales qualified lead. Because at the moment that lead is accepted by sales, it should move into a nurturing cycle. How do we nurture prospects? Content, email, digital media. So, for example, remarketing is a great nurturing strategy. Every time you visit my website, I cookie you with a, not the cookie that we eat, but a yeah. line of code that you automatically I think accept. we're all familiar with yeah. cookies now. Well, do you, do you know what? You say that. 96% of people still accept cookies when they come onto my website. So that means that probably the majority of people don't really understand cookies. Because when I cookie you, I'm placing a cookie on your device that contains your personal data. And so the moment you accept cookies, I'm pulling in that cookie into my lead tracking marketing attribution model. So I can track your behavior. I can see what you're doing. I can notify my sales team when you exhibit buying like behavior. And I can remarket to you via email and via ads. So You're certainly convincing on this subject. Yeah. But yeah. this is, you know, this is the classic ideology, right? When you're, I, I'm buying handbags for my wife and for the next 90 days, wherever I go across the internet, I'm being marketed with handbags that I see on every website that I go to. Right, that, that's bad remarketing. But remarketing done in a strategic way is positioning my brand to my prospects during the nurture cycle in a way that's going to get them to come back. And by the way, it's free advertising. I'm only paying 
if someone clicks on that ad. And by the way, smart marketers always put a telephone number on their remarketing banners because if someone picks up the phone and calls, I don't pay a penny. Yeah, yeah. Very smart. Nice little tricks of the trade. I like that comment. The f- marketing's job is a flow of valuable customers to make it profitable. Then you went and talked about the nurture process. So how, imp- how important is it that marketing team communicates with sales team? Oh, it's, it's fun- fundamentally important, you know. There's, there is a disconnect with that. Sometimes yeah, you get blame is. culture, isn't you, an excuse. Oh, it's marketing's fault. Oh, it's sales' fault. I got you the lead. Yeah. You. Do you know, the bigger the business gets, the more blame culture exists because right. the two sit under two different How do we leave structures. How do we alleviate that? Well, like in a small to medium-sized enterprise, marketing is a function of sales. That doesn't change in the enterprise. It just means that the CMO becomes the voice of the customer. And so the voice of the consumer is represented in the voice of the CMO. So we have to understand, particularly if you're a larger enterprise listening here and you're a marketing director or CMO, you are the brand ambassador, the voice of the consumer on the board. So you are representing the board, so representing the customer to your board. What the customer feels, what the customer dislikes, what they love, how the brand is positioned to that individual. Fundamentally important. I bet some heads of marketing right now, I think you've just given them a mind shift there. The voice, they are the voice of the customer. Yeah, absolutely. Consumer behavior should be their number one priority. In a large enterprise, the CMO is the ambassador for the customer. What about in a small one? In a smaller... Wait, let's just say five people. Yeah, sure. And if you're in a small business turning over anything from half a million up to five million, marketing is still a function of sales. So go back to the marketing funnel, right? The majority of people are investing in different marketing strategies that ex- exist at different points within that funnel. And they're then surprised why they're not getting the return. So small businesses focus at the bottom of the funnel. Email marketing, search engine optimization, paid advertising. Those are the execution channels which are going to produce quantifiable results. So if you're an owner manager or you're a sales director and you're looking to do marketing effectively, focus in on the bottom channels because that's going to give you the quantifiable ROI that you need. And the larger you get, the more you can start investing in brand persona material that tells a story. I love what Seth Gordon says, one of my favorite authors, and he, he wrote a book called uh, All Marketers Are Liars. And actually, the, the last line of it was crossed out, and it said, uh, all, marketing, all marketers are storytellers, which actually is lovely, because I, I, if, I, if you're listening, I'm not a liar. I'm telling you the truth today. But it, it is a sense that marketers are all about communicating content. We're communicating the brand story. So how we position things in the marketing world is absolutely pivotal. And so the larger your business grows, the more brand voice it needs to have. And so the more um, engagement it needs to have with content, with influencers, with people who are showcasing your material, particularly if you're in B2C, that's fundamentally important. Brad Sugars also says the larger your business grows, the more social responsibility you've got. You know, like Premier League football, you know, they send a tweet on... They put a tweet on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, they, uh, they, they put a tweet out, and if it, they use one of the wrong words, and because they've got know, social responsibility. And do you know, I I, I like what Brad says there, but uh, my conviction is it's it is every single person who's listening to this podcast responsibility, because the way in which we communicate fundamentally takes a shift on society. And well, you know, Mary Potter's uh, business excellence conference. You were there. Mm. You better be a decent human being before anything else. Yeah, everyone's. Re- I like. I like your response there. Everybody is responsible, James. Yeah, we are. And you know, I think if we're, we're living in a world where digital media 
has such a profound impact on society. And you only have to listen to what's coming out in the press, the news, the stories of recession, cost of living. I'm not diminishing any of that because it is a reality in the world we're living in. But the reality is the media have a huge role to play in the way that they communicate things to us. And we as individuals, as business owners, as marketers, as sales professionals, we've got a huge responsibility of what we do with that content. So for me, I think it is absolutely pivotal that we take social responsibility for the stuff that we put out and you know if you're putting out stuff that is leading people down the garden path or if it's not factually correct please switch it off because it's, it's just not beneficial we're living in a consumer era where gen z's are just consuming believing content we all know that most of the content on the internet is fake it's fake news right and these days with things like chat chat gbt and with ai driven content the authenticity behind content is actually in decline so we have to be absolutely pivotally important centered around the content that's been put out and that's why i love podcasts right because podcasts you're meeting real people having real conversations and actually hearing the real news you're not getting something that is churned out it's a good point isn't it i mean it's we're losing authenticity with it let's talk ai sure because you mentioned it in your opening couple of minutes we're in an ai revolution we certainly are yeah does that scare people? It does. 100%. Oh, for sure. 100%. AI is absolutely stunningly amazing, but absolutely horrifically terrifying all at the same points. And, you know, you speak to anyone who's in data science and they will tell you it's the biggest evolution in technology that's ever occurred. But they'll also tell you the horror stories of what AI could do. And we hear it in the media. We've got all of these TV shows over the years that have been written about bots taking over the world and the reality is as we look at machine learning that can think in a way um, and behave in a way that influences has its own mindset own ideology own way of responding some of the realities of some of this fiction could actually become fact in the future so right now you know if we look at content as a means you know you could i I went on the the other day and uh, i was listening to one of my favorite artists and i said write a song impersonating this person with the subject line of this and it wrote me this beautiful poem and i then went back into another ai tool and said here's my here's my script for my song here's my lyrics generate me a beat and it did and i said generate me some lyrics and within about five minutes i had a fully functioning song i was working on a client project the other day and this is a tool i've actually shown you it's called synthesia and you go on there and you can have an ai video created that is a bot that speaks with whatever language you want to give them you plug the script in they move around they talk with you they animate and if you weren't 100 on the ball then you would believe it so you know ai can do some amazing stuff but let's be really clear right when we talk about generating content one of the biggest things that people are saying to me is well i'll just use um chat to create all the content on my website or i'm going to create blog posts using chat let's be really clear google understands the difference between genuinely written human content and ai written yeah. content okay Fundamentally, you can plug an article in and it will give you an AI score. And if that score of that article is scoring more than 70% AI generated, it will not rank online. Okay? So, guys, you're using ChatGPT thinking, wow, I've written a blog using ChatGPT. I've I've won. I've saved myself time, energy. You've also not delivered anything in terms of real traffic to your website because Google is fundamentally not going to rank it. So where do we use AI? We use AI to process big data. 
right? So if we're getting traffic trends or if we're getting insights, Google 360, the most powerful web analytics platform in the world, is generating an open API of all of its data. So ChatGPT can access all of that data, crawl it, trawl through it, make sense of it in moments. We can get that data, we can use it. But when it comes to actually generating content, we've then got to be a little bit smarter. So the prompts that we start to use when we're engaging with AI need to be focused around what are the 10 best blog subject lines in this particular industry? Make them more clickbait. Make them more engaging to align to this client persona. ChatGBT comes up with your list of, of blog titles. Stop there. Don't get it to write the content. Actually then think about it. Think about what the, the things you are that you, you're going to include in it. Now you could ask it to generate you the headings for it. Fine. Don't use those headings, but use it as thought process yeah. to then funnel into what you're going to write. Well, at least 30%, change it, you know what you're yeah. saying. You know, yeah. but it can get you going, can't it? It can. And absolutely, this is where small businesses can really harness the quick power of AI. But be careful, because the more you use and rely on AI, the more you are actually crafting copy that's not going to align yes. around your consumer behavior. We're all emotional beings. We're all human. We all react differently. ChatGBT is becoming more emotive it's, in its style. I right? think it's quite reassuring, actually, that Google's doing that. Yeah. Do you know why? Because it was making people redundant, wasn't it? It was like, it was killing people. Well, I still think it is. I mean, these days, I mean, you can generate contracts of employment using OpenAI. You can do a whole range of different things that are um, people's jobs, ultimately. And so do, do I think that we should abandon AI? Absolutely not. I'm, I'm a, no, I'm a huge I mean, advocate that AI is here to stay. And if you go back to the Industrial Revolution where they started putting steam technology into factories and then realised actually they needed to fundamentally shift the factory and rebuild it, the same's happening right now. AI is here to stay, guys. So the more we embrace it and the more we learn from it, the more we partner with it to generate things within our ecosystem that can drive performance and drive change, then we're going to be we're, we're going to be winning. So how can AI help, right? AI can process big data. Data is the biggest error that businesses make. They don't understand it. They haven't invested the time to gather it. So when I'm talking about data here, I'm talking from a marketing perspective about sessions, about conversions, about the number of numbers of traffic and sessions coming to your site. All of that data could be huge potentially. So we can utilize AI to harness that and then make recommendations on how we can refine our data, our, our website um, content to align to the things that people are searching for. The more we align our content around those things, the more we're actually going to generate real results. And that's where AI can really help small businesses. Look, you've got me thinking here. And look, I know that you're a marketing agency. You've, you've recognized, you're very proudly doing so. I just want you to just put that to the side for a second and mm. let's just think about business. Because as, you, as you're speaking, I'm thinking, do you have to hire a big team? Do you, do you outsource? You know, just take your own business out of this for a yeah, second. Sure. I mean, where, where, do, where do people go with this? I mean, yeah, great question. So look, when I started out, I started out, um, I was Fred in the shed. Yeah. Um, one man team. Uh, and I started as a marketing consultant. I made myself redundant from the company I was working with. Uh, this was 11 years ago now. And I worked in my back bedroom. And I thought if I could just have a nice quiet life and get paid the same I was doing when I was in corporate, everything would be fine. 
very very quickly realized i was going to have to scale up and bring in staff and all those things so you know in those in those early days the thing that i needed to do as a small business owner was to focus on my core competencies yes and when in business, that's what we do. If you're an owner manager, you're focusing on what's your skill set. Anything that exists outside of that core competency needs to be outsourced, because the more you can bring in expertise that are going to drive but performance. What's the advantage of outsourcing it versus hiring? A great question again. But remember, when you're hiring, you're hiring one individual, and that one individual might be the most sassy, super social media designer. That person's going to do a wonderful job at your tweets and your Instagram feed, but they're not going to have a clue about managing your yeah. website, your content, your, your data. So this is the problem we have. We're in, we're in a marketing world where everything now aligns around a digital asset with seven marketing channels. One person can't do everything. We, look, it's just, we said it earlier on. We kind of agreed on the subject that it's the most important department in the business. If we, if we analyse that, the average small, medium, even large business... How many, how many people you got in your marketing team? How many people you got in your yep. sales team? How many people you got in your delivery team? That tends yep. to be the biggest. Finance, HR. And the marketing team is always tiny. It's always small. And, you know, I was speaking with a, a prospect just yesterday who is a £3 million business, and the guy said to me his annual marketing budget was £10,000. I looked at the guy, sales director with a huge sales team, and I said, what, your entire annual marketing budget is ten grand." Who have you got in your team doing marketing? He said, well, we all try and chip in. No one salaried person to support the sales function in that business. Did he use the word try and chip in, you know? Try. Yeah, because it's people doing their best endeavours yeah. to try to do something because they don't know. There is an advantage, isn't there, when, when you've got less roles and responsibility, more focus, more attention. You know, because even as you're saying it, you know, it, I, I'm trained in the field of marketing, but... I would sooner hire a set of experts. Yeah, of course. You take care of that, I'll stay in my lane. Yeah. I'll do what I'm really Absolutely. strong at. And, and to this day, look, I run an agency. I've got 26 staff. We've been uh, doing performance marketing now for 11 years. There are still aspects of marketing that I don't have the capability to do in-house. And so I will get specific experts into my business who are specialists in those areas. Of course, the seven marketing channels... I employ subject matter experts to do that within my business. So the difference between perhaps our agency and another is that we're not just giving you an account manager who does it all. That's the same as recruiting someone, right? You've got one person trying to work the best on that thing, but they haven't got the capacity or more importantly, the capability right. to manage those channels. Holistically. Absolutely. So you've got to bring together a blend of these seven different digital disciplines, people who have those specific knowledge who can collaborate together on a project that's going to drive meaningful results. And in a small business, turning over anything from half a million to five million, there is no way you're going to have enough capital to, to salary those individuals within the, in the business. And hey, James, I've worked with the world's largest um, global recruitment company. They've got uh, nine brands and they operate in 37 countries. And each one of those nine brands is a multi-million pound company across the world. So you can imagine the scale of that operation. Their UK team, which actually operates like an internal agency for the entire group, they still outsource their SEO and their paid ads management to us as an agency. And the reason they do that is because they know they don't have the technical skill set in-house. Can you imagine that? Huge internal agency for a global corporation, the largest recruitment company in the world. They have to outsource. So is outsourcing the thing you should do? Yeah, for sure it is. Do you know what? 
big law firms do exactly the same. Yeah. You know, you, you lean on experts. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think enough of that exists actually in marketing. We, we, we are in a marketing revolution, an AR revolution, like you said. Gen Z millennials. What happens if you're not a Gen Z or a millennial? Because <laughs> people well, listening yeah. to this right <laughs> yeah. now, you know, let's let's give them some confidence <clears throat> for a second. Well, if you've listened this far and managed to absorb all of the digital lingo, you're doing a great job. How do you so. how do you keep up with your learning? By the way, yeah, great great question. So I've implemented something in our business which we call Fun Fridays, um, which basically is the idea that we gather our team together for our own research and development every Friday. So is that the built, Ideas Factory? That's the I Ideas che- Factory. I was checking yeah, it out. Yeah. So the Ideas Factory is something that we've built within our business yeah. where every member of the team has to come with a set of objectives. So every member of the team comes with their own piece of research that they have researched that week around the area that they specialize in. It's one changer. It could be a number of changes. We collaborate around that idea. It has to benefit our clients or it has to achieve one of our business objectives. And one of our business objectives is we give 30% of our profits to good yeah, causes. it's really cool. That's aligned, very much aligned with my value system. So if, that achieves, if that's one of the things the Ideas Factory produces, happy days. I'm all over that. But we come together... And we drive that innovation because unless a business is constantly innovating within this marketplace that we're in, it's going to fail. And so we know that innovation has to sit right at the core. Going back to your question, if if you're dealing with someone who is slightly older, perhaps you have been running your business in the same way for years and years. You've done a phenomenal job getting it to where it has been now. You've got to be able to embrace how to use digital media effectively. And this goes back to the, the most common mistake that we see business owners make, which is um, you know, dealing with a client who is the UK's largest shredding, shredding company, paper shredding business, and they go out and they uh, you, you put your paper in a receptacle in the office, they drive up to you and shred it on site and then take it away. Fantastic company, but run by four guys who are all in their 50s and 60s. And they are, uh, they wouldn't mind me saying, but they're, they're digital Luddites, they're not really engaged with how to do digital marketing. They started out when they when they uh, thought that they were going to outsource. They thought, right, who in our family knows how to do digital marketing? One of them has a daughter, so they bought her in. Said, right, you try and build a WordPress yep. site. And another one said, oh, uh, you're good at social media. So they had all these teenagers running around them trying to craft campaigns for them. You know, fundamentally wasn't achieving anything. It wasn't being executed. And so we came along, we put the strategy together, and they achieved a 1 to 237 ROI last year. Every one pound they invested in marketing achieved £237 back to the business. Isn't that amazing? I tell you what is really amazing, though, the fact that they know that number. Yeah. Like That's what marketing attribution modelling. Yeah, and, and it kind of, that lifts the pressure off because unless yeah. there's a machine that's doing it, I don't know how you, you, you where you would start. It's almost yeah. like a minefield out there. Of course it can be done, but yep. the marketing and attribution model sounds amazing. It's a nice little... It's a robotic name as well, yes, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. They, they, let's come back to that question because I did sort of go off track there for a second. What about if you're not a Gen Z or a millennial and you need to take confidence from this? Yeah. So if you need to take confidence from it, just know that digital marketing will work in almost any industry. You could be a manufacturer in industry doing anything like this. The most important thing that you've got to be able to do is to understand the basics and then outsource to the people who are going to be able to do this for you. Don't try and in-house it. 
This isn't one of those areas that you can bring into the business and try and get working. And it's also, if you're a small business and you're, you're not a Gen Z or millennial, you know, the, the tendency is to try and do as much of it as yourself because you want to save costs. Now, if you're in that position, the best thing to do is to get a quantifiable results model that gets your marketing results working. That's the thing that's changing things because if you know the amount that a lead is costing you or the amount that a sale is, is costing you. Is this you, the, f- the first thing that you do? Absolutely. Sort out the data. Get under the hood of the of the, the chassis of the website. Start making objective decisions. Correct. Get control of it. Yeah. From, you know, I've got depth and detail from you in this as well. Um, small business versus big business. What's the difference? Is there a difference now? Do you know what? It's, it's all about scale, right? And the, the bigger a business goes, the more they want to in-house things. And the problem with in-housing is knowing and understanding the technical competency of the person that you're recruiting. So it then becomes the recruitment process to in-house yeah. a marketing team. So what we tend to experience um, working with both um, SMEs and, and corporates yeah. is that there is a gap that exists between of a company turning over five and say 15 millions where they tend to start going through an evolution to bring things back in-house. Yeah. And it's very, very normal. Happens with, with anyone that sits within that void. They're always trying to, to bring yeah. those people in-house because you can drive better results and, and sometimes get, get better return. But the issue you have with enterprise is how do you know when you're recruiting someone who's of sufficient quality? And how do you actually track and benchmark that, that individual's success? And that's the difficulty because if you've got a CMO who doesn't understand the data or if they're a strategic Do you sometimes marketer, work with CMOs? For sure, all day. Yeah, we, we work with companies not only to help with their recruitment of their marketing team, but also to help the CMO cool. with a marketing attribution model that can benchmark what they're achieving in-house. You know, lots of CMOs will be fan- fabulous strategic marketers spoke about being the brand ambassador or the voice of the customer, right? They'll be fantastic at that, but they won't necessarily know the the data analytics that sits behind that. So often we'll then come in to provide that insights and that data science that sits behind that that CMO's decisions. That CMO is then empowered to make recruitment decisions or strategic decisions that affect the marketing with real data that means, has real meaning. Really good. I mean, I think you've you've really added a lot of value to to a lot of business owners right now in this session. Awesome. Even marketers as well. We haven't finished yet. I've got some more questions for you. What's your favourite book? Uh, I told you that earlier. I'm a big I'm a big fan of Seth Godin. Have you read all his books? I've read, I don't know about all of them, but I've read, 20, 30 books, yeah. I've read quite a few of them. Well, he's the powerhouse. He's, yeah, he's, he is. You know, I've worked with him before. I've spoken on stages with him. Wow. He's a phenomenal guy. Um, and I, lo- I just love his communication style. But the, the book that I love from him is, is All Marketers Are Liars. And the, then he crosses yeah. out liars and he says, I have to be great storytellers because I think brand voice is so important, particularly as we're dealing with enterprises. Yeah. So that's probably my favourite out of the bunch. And storytelling sells. Yeah. So what's your favourite movie? Oh, do you know what? I've watched so many movies of late, um, but uh, I went to what I was watching last night because I, I watched uh, I watched the the uh, Pope's Exorcist on uh, which 
Well, you did tell us. You said you I wouldn't did, tell I did, us. I did, no, I didn't no, tell you. To tell you. But actually, it was great, great film. But, but that's not your favourite one. No, not my favourite, no. But it, it was something that I'd, I, uh, I bought actually on my Amazon Prime subscription. But right. I think actually I'm more into series these days. So yeah. I've watched. Which favourite series? I, I really like The Last Kingdom. So watch. Not I've seen watched it. all of that. Oh, you haven't? Oh, you'd love it. If, if you're into that sort of Viking thing, yeah. it's, it, I love the history behind it, but I also love the, the links into uh, some of the, the Scandinavian offshore stuff. I'm big into Scandinavia, travel over there at least 10 times a year, uh, and love the, the, yeah, the Danes culture. and the Nor- Nor- Norwegians very much. So yeah, it really aligns with my history as well. What's your favourite music? Oh, I'm a musician, so I play eight instruments. Um, you probably didn't know, did you? I knew you um, played in, in so instruments. But I, instruments. Yeah, I, I classically trained um, as a pianist and as a drummer. So I went to Trinity College of London. I studied about 80 different... Is there uh, anything that you can't do, Steve? Quite a few things, yeah. <laughs> no, don't, don't get that big-headed. But I, if you want to learn how to play the triangle properly, I could teach you. The triangle? The triangle, yeah. You don't just hit it. There's techniques to how you yeah. get the sounds out of it. But so, so yeah, my music choice is really eclectic. I listen from everything to to uh, Chris Brown at one end of the spectrum with the R and B all the way through. What's to classical your favorite stuff. instrument to play? I I don't have one. I have I love playing the drums. Uh, so I used to be a session drummer when I was growing up, and that was one of the things I loved doing in university days. Um, these days, I drum at church, and that's about the extent of it. Uh, but I love getting onto the drum kit, uh, using your limbs and getting it all all your body involved in, in making rhythms amazing. But I also I love playing the piano. So I've got Baby Grand in my office, yeah. which I think you've seen before, yeah. and I just love the flow of being able to craft and create stuff on it's that. It's very cool. Really cool. You're at a church that plays drums, but there you go. And if you're not at a church that plays the drums, then all you're doing is smelling, smelling, uh, or, or hearing bells and smells. And yeah, yeah, bells. That doesn't really fit in with my uh, my thinking. And if you could have a superpower, what would it be? Oh gosh, superpowers! Do you know? I, I would love the ability to understand what someone's saying. What's that scene of, uh, uh, I forget the name of the, the, the person, but I think it's in, uh, what's the, the, the film that came after Harry Potter? It's the same, uh, the, the Crimes of uh, Grindelwald. Yeah, it sounds about right, yeah. There's one of the, the scenes in there where this woman's there and she can hear the voice in someone's head when she's talking to can them. Can hear the thoughts. The thoughts, that's it. If I could understand yeah, the cool. thoughts of someone when it's coming through, I think that'd be my superpower. Yeah, it would. <laughs> that'd be the, cool. Well, Pretty cool, wouldn't that's it? That's the ultimate influencer, isn't it? Is, it is, yeah. That, that's that's ultimate marketing yeah, yeah. In, the, in a snapshot. <laughs> no wonder you chose that. Favourite holiday destination? You're going to Italy tomorrow as well. I am, yeah. You know, I've... Actually, I've been all over the world. One of the things I do in my spare time is uh, I'm a, a traveling pastor. So uh, I travel all over the world speaking for different conferences as well as the digital marketing side of things. So I love Scandinavia. Copenhagen is my favorite city in the world. Right. Uh, but if it's for holiday destinations, uh, I'd have to say probably um, I love St. Lucia. Yeah. I love the Greek islands. Yeah. I, I think uh, for, for my kids, my I've got a young family. Um, the Greek islands are like three and a half hours away. Yes. So Rhodes, Crete, any of those places are yeah. lovely for nice. warm sunshine. Yeah, but Copenhagen and Greek culture, and yeah, food, food. Yeah. of course. But <laughs> best city in the world, Copenhagen, every time. Yeah, beautiful place. Are you an early bird or night owl? 
I am definitely not an early bird. I don't get up before 8 a.m. every morning. So we talk about... Uh, you know, sometimes when I say... Yeah, you say, can we do an 8 <laughs> o'clock call? And I'm like, James, that, that doesn't fit in with my rituals. <laughs> you know, um, early on in my business life, I did business breakfasts, right? Yeah. I'm sure everyone who's listening to this has done a business breakfast. About three years into doing every business bre- breakfast, breakfast networking thing I could muster not only was i putting on weight but i realized that i was <laughs> i was just fundamentally tired all day long and i could just never bring myself back from the 6am start so i just said okay when am i at my most optimum my most effective and i found that i'm most my most effective around two o'clock in the afternoon and then at about eight o'clock at night so for me i don't get up before eight in the morning i get myself ready for the start of the day and I hit the road running at nine I finish at 5.30 to do the bath time with the kids and then I go back for an hour usually around 8 o'clock and I can work into the night, yeah. Beautiful. And if you could have one day in someone else's life, who would you choose? Oh man, what a hard question. Um, Okay, so... One of my favourite bands out there is a band called Toto, and uh, probably yeah, most Africa. people. Yeah, you know, okay, Africa. Hey, yeah. hey, 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 Hold the line, down, down, down. You got it. You got it going, bro. Always on time. Yeah, Keep so, going. Oh, no, no. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah. So I, I love Toto. So um, and I also like Peter Gabriel and Genesis and yeah. those guys as well. So. I, I think if I was going back to my music days, I'd love to uh, probably be around Phil Collins or uh, any of those guys in Toto. That was Steve Lukather, the guitarist from uh, from Toto, and one of the early Michael Jackson albums was actually the band from Toto that were just performing for Michael Jackson. And I just think the the, the musicianship, the quality of what they put together, combined with the way in which they just vibe together, was absolutely phenomenal. And I haven't really heard many bands in the modern era that are doing that. And that's probably shown my age because, you know, for, for a 30-something-year-old, there aren't many of us that listen to Toto. But as a muso, I absolutely love them. Yeah, a really good answer. Really good answer. So who've been the three biggest trusted advisors in your life? Wow, what a question. Uh, look, I think everyone would go back and say their parents. My dad was probably my, my biggest confident, uh, biggest advisor in my life. Why? Um, what did you get from him? What did I get from my dad? I got uh, uh, an enduring sense uh, of uh, the ability to achieve anything that I put my mind to do. My so dad, good that, isn't it? My dad was a, a baker. Uh, so he actually was a Michelin star chef, but he started his own patisserie. And at the age of five, I was doing child slave labor <laughs> in the bakery. So that 4 a.m. starts. No, not even that, even Two. earlier. 3 a.m. starts. And we did all of that before we even went to school. So I was making the knotted rolls, the creme patisserie, all of that. From the word go. And I didn't get paid a beam for it. But do you know what it taught me? It taught me customer service. It taught me how to handle money. It taught me the value of living well with your family. And, you know, in those days, my parents didn't have much money. um, And he was running his one patisserie. And so in those days, he would make cream cakes. And he would go one night to the Indian takeaway. And he'd exchange cream cakes around the back in exchange for a tikka masala or something. The next time, we'd go to the the kebab Turkish restaurant over the other side. And they lived their lives like that. You know, it was was hand-to-mouth in many ways. Um, But I learned resilience from him. Um, so yeah, definitely him. It, it really resonated. You, the first part of your answer was he taught you you could do anything, and my dad also did the same for me. And yeah. I, and I'm struggling to think if there's anything better a parent can do. Yeah. Just believe yeah, in was, your children that they can do anything. I always said to with my own family, if if I can be a role model to them that encourages and inspires them to be the best that they can be, then I've I might achieve something. Yeah, nice. Yeah. All right. So if the listeners could or should 
do one thing, one the most important thing from listening to this around marketing, because marketing is what we've talked about. What what could it be or what should it be? Guys, get your marketing working. If your marketing is not achieving results, then you need to stop it and make a change. And the way to do that is to look at your digital asset, your website, look at the conversion strategies that exist around that site. Do you know what? We didn't talk about conversion strategies today, but... You know, it, it, I think there's going to be a lot of questions yeah. that come off this. But one of the things that people always ask me is how people make decisions when they come to a website. It takes 1.4 seconds for a prospect to decide whether they're going to stay on your website from the moment they land. So eye tracking study that exists within what's called the F principle, it only applies to the Western audience because in the East it's actually an inverted F. It's all to do with how we read left to right. So what happens is an individual within 1.4 seconds of landing on your website will draw a capital F on the screen, regardless of whether it's on a mobile device or whether it's on the desktop. So if your content doesn't align within that F, then it's not going to result in a conversion. Okay, science behind how we how we look. If the buttons are the wrong color, I talked about making my eyes bleed. Yeah, yeah? stuff like that affects conversion metrics. Yeah. So maybe we should do another <laughs> podcast yeah, just, just on that topic, just on that one thing. So conversion strategies is the most important thing to get the vehicle of your website, get that engine working to take you forward. Get your marketing working. But then the seven marketing channels, what I like to call the seven steps marketing chassis. These are channels, they're separate entities, social media, search, paid ads, meta, Google, marketing automation strategies, email marketing, social media, lead tracking. All of these things drive targeted relevant traffic to the site. Unless we execute an omni-channel campaign across all seven of those, those channels, then we're not going to drive marketing performance. And if you're not tracking it, friends, then you're not going to know if your investment is returning anything. So if you're not doing that yet, it's time to start. And it's easier than you think. But get the advice you need. And always happy to help and reach out if you want to connect on socials. Happy to answer questions. You know what my favorite part of today is? Two things. Number one, your energy and enthusiasm on this subject. You're so passionate. And number two, the CMO. The big responsibility. You are the voice of the customer. You better embrace that. Absolutely. Yeah, powerful, isn't it? Because the CMO is not just about leading a marketing function. He is the brand, he or she is the brand ambassador on the board. So everything that that customer feels, likes, dislikes, that needs to be fed back from the CMO. And the CMO's role there to truly embrace the brand, truly embrace the feelings and emotions behind the customer is of profound importance on the board. Because what's happening at the moment is most brands are getting disconnected from their customers. Why? Because these days, marketers go online, they go, give me a social media calendar, and it tells you 365 days of what to do when and what to do there. But some of those things our customers aren't even interested in. Why am I doing an awareness day about whatever? Do my customers really care about that? So we've got to understand what our customers are Mm. thinking, what their passions are, what their interests are. And that's the primary role of the CMO. What's your favourite part of today? Do you know, I always love talking about marketing. I could talk about this subject all day, every day, but I, I thoroughly enjoy being here with you, James. And I think for me, I, I love marketing attribution. I think most people I speak to in marketing don't know how to get results. So if, I, if I've given you a snippet of information, friends, today mm. on just how to leverage some of these things to actually generate meaningful results, I've done, I've done my job. Well, you certainly have. Ladies and gentlemen, Dave go. Steve Pelfort. Thank Thank you, James. Great to be with you. Thanks so much.
was really good.